Hi, and welcome to the eFundamentals Digital Shelfcast, the only podcast dedicated to helping growth-driven CPGs win online. My name is Julia Glotz, and I'll be your host for the show. Every episode, I'll be speaking with industry experts about the latest trends and challenges in digital commerce and how you can drive growth online. We've packed each show with practical insight you can apply straight away to keep you ahead. So make sure you subscribe today and don't miss out on any of our thought-provoking episodes. We're available on all major podcast platforms. Thanks for spending time with me today. And now let's jump straight into your monthly dose of e-commerce growth inspiration. Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Digital Shelfcast. We spent much of our first two episodes looking at global trends in e-commerce and how these trends are playing out in the UK and the US. For this episode, we turn our attention to continental Europe and to Germany in particular. Germany is a fascinating market from an e-commerce perspective. It's Europe's biggest consumer market after Russia, with a population of more than 83 million, but in many ways, it's a laggard when it comes to online shopping. This has proved true even during the pandemic. In countries such as Italy and France, online shopping has increased dramatically as a result of lockdown. In January, e-commerce was growing by 44% year-on-year in Italy and 34% year-on-year in France, according to Nielsen. By the end of March, those figures had shot up to 162% and 56%. In Germany, however, shopping habits didn't change nearly as much. German shoppers proved more conservative in their habits, and just 41% say they have bought less in-store than they did before the pandemic. The same is true if we look specifically at grocery. According to a survey by PwC, only half of German online grocery shoppers say they bought more during lockdown, compared with 70% of French, Spanish and Italian shoppers. So why is Germany so different? What are the key trends driving German e-commerce? What's driving consumer behaviour? And what do CPGs need to know to position themselves to succeed in this important and challenging market? To discuss all this and more, I'm joined by two digital commerce experts with intimate knowledge of all things German online retail. Joe Campbell is VP of Commercial Partnerships at eFundamentals, and Mark Nitschke is Managing Director of TMS, a point-of-sales agency based in Frankfurt. Joe and Mark, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here. Very welcome. Hi. Now, before we delve more deeply into today's topic, I'd love to get a better understanding of your own online shopping habits. So tell me about the last item you purchased online and why. And Joe, I'd love to start with you on that one. Well, I'm a bit of a big online shopper because I very much value the convenience. So I've been grocery shopping online for probably about the last 10 years and I buy a lot else. Most recently, apart from Christmas presents, the big change in my online shopping habits this year has been I have got a puppy. And normally when I shop online, it's a quick in, see the website, choose what I want, out, I don't read a huge amount. I don't really look at reviews. I don't really look at a lot about the product. Since I got my puppy, though, she gets far more focus from me when I'm shopping online. 
So I really do look to websites to educate me around things like the nutritional value in food, whether particular snacks and chews are appropriate for the age that she is, um, and also look at some of the rich content that various brands are using to better educate naive pet owners like myself, I would say. I've really noticed a difference in the way that I interact with online stores when I'm buying something for her versus when I'm buying something for myself. I think it's fascinating, and particularly the point you raised there about having all that rich information that goes with making sense of a purchase, not just the product and not just, you know, the convenience of, of the delivery, but having everything that goes along with it as well. And I'd love to know, now that you've told us you have a new puppy, which is, of course, very exciting, you need to tell us what kind of puppy it is, Joe. She is a beautiful golden retriever called Treacle, and she's five months old this week. Oh, fantastic. A great name as well. Mark, can you beat that? Do you have a new puppy to uh, to do online shopping for? And if not, what was the last item you purchased online? <laughs> yeah, no, no, I have a very old pug, so it's not a young puppy anymore. But nevertheless, I think that looking at the German retail e-commerce or grocery landscape, it's a little bit hard. So the, the basic things I actually shopped online, the last time I shopped online was last week, were fashion items and non-food items. So I obviously bought some small or minor Christmas presents due to due to the cyber week and the prerequisites of that. And when it comes to non-food products, I'm also familiar with getting information from content. Joe, you mentioned like rich content, background information. Okay, where is a particular item has been crafted? And uh, living in Frankfurt, you have actually nearly every store you want to have at your doorstep due to the compactness of the city. But also during this pandemic and also due to convenience, I mainly shop online everything except for groceries. And I think this might bring us to another point then. It certainly does. And it's it's very interesting that you raise that point straight away, that you do your non-food shopping online. But grocery, certainly in Germany at the moment, still has its challenges when it comes to e-commerce. So why don't we delve into that in a little bit more detail, Mark? Because I think particularly for listeners who are based in the UK, compared with retailers such as Tesco and Sainsbury's here, Germany's big discounters, Lidl and Aldi, and retailers such as Edeka and Rava, they have been slower to embrace e-commerce than what we have seen in other markets. Could you just give us a sense of why that is and give us an overview of the German retail market and the grocery industry in particular and explain why it hasn't embraced online quite to the same extent yet? So I think that's a very good question. And prior to this podcast, I also made up my mind, OK, why is that? So I was browsing a little bit through different online shops and just give you my my intake on that in a couple of minutes. But I think first things first is you have to compare the different retail structures in, for example, the UK to Germany. And retail in Germany is slightly different, depends on from which side you're looking at it. And you have a lot of stores that are centrally organized, which speaks for the discounters. So they are centralized. So all the decision-making is done in centralized organization. When it comes to Edeka or Rewe in Germany, you speak about or you talk about two levels of engagement, and you have a lot of engagement on store level, in decision-making power on store level or on multiple store levels. And that might be one of the barriers of to entry for grocery shopping, of course, 
So that's actually coming from the supply side. Brands, especially in the grocery segment, are they're a little bit behind when it comes to the big traditional retailers. So it's mainly smaller, more agile, more aggressive companies actually entering the market of grocery shopping online. I think we can just touch some of those in the, at the later stage of our talk here. But mainly it's a logistics game, in my opinion. And I think this is one of the main challenges. So when I did some preparation in terms of grocery shopping online, I really tried. It's really hard. So I don't want to name all the names here, but when, I, when you go to the discounters' websites, you actually can only buy non-food products. If you go on Edeka24, which is, in my opinion, the online grocery store of Edeka, is for recurring customers only. So you have to enroll first, and that's a big barrier to entry there. But Rewe, in, in that sense, coming from the general point, they're doing quite well, in my opinion. So you can just either pick up and you can either get it delivered on the doorstep. But when it comes to commodities, it's a little bit hard. If you go for beverages and all the, the big bulk products, I think that's the main challenge when it comes to grocery shopping. And the shopper herself is actually a challenge because I think that the German shoppers, some of them are not quite ready for grocery shopping yet because you really want to have the touch of the fresh dairy. You want to have the fruits in your hand, which you picked on yourself. I'm not sure, and maybe Joe can answer that, if this is a big comparison or a difference to the UK shopper. But these are my three main challenges here is that some of the brands are I think they are ready because they are operating and cooperating with different specific online grocers already, apart from the big traditional ones. I think the traditional ones have the logistics barrier and the hurdle they have to jump on. And a shopper herself has to be educated on grocery shopping. I think that's fascinating. And, you know, you mentioned, Joe, that I'd love to bring you in there, Joe, and just give us a sense of how some of what Mark has described compares with what we have seen in other markets. When you look at Italy, when you look at the UK, how have retailers and brands responded there, particularly since the pandemic? How have they embraced online grocery in a way that's perhaps different to what's happened in Germany? I think one of the big differences has been the severity or restrictiveness of lockdowns across different countries, across certainly Europe. So if I think of markets like Italy and Greece, I think they had a similar consumer dynamic in that consumers still preferred to go into stores and pick their own produce and, you know, kind of touch the fruit and vegetables and pick it for themselves. Because those markets have had, I would judge, stricter lockdowns than certainly in Germany, I think it's almost been the catalyst to shoppers having to try online as a channel. And once they do, those fears around, well, if I'm not picking it myself, it's not going to be as good, have basically disappeared. And so we see incredibly strong growth in markets like Italy, Greece, Spain, where I know that that was one of the shopper barriers that existed previously. And I think it's interesting as well what Mark says around the actual kind of shopping experience in terms of the websites. There's a global study done by the grocery retailing magazine in the US looking at effectively the usability of different grocery websites across the globe and they look at the top 89 and I was astonished actually to see that there were only two German websites in there which is Reve and Erika 
And they were both pretty far down the list, frankly, in terms of usability versus some of the other options. But what I did find particularly interesting is where Aldi was on that list, and particularly in relation to Aldi in the US. So they ranked number 23. And I do think that one of the things that has slowed down the development of e-commerce in Germany has been the strength of market position of players like Aldi and Lidl, who typically haven't played in the online grocery space because they're operating off smaller margins and the margin dilution from moving from someone walking into store and picking their own goods, where most retailers are operating off a kind of low single-digit margin, when you then start building in things like home delivery and a pick-from-store model, without the delivery fees, that margin can go to minus 15%. And even when you add in delivery fees, it's still in kind of low single digits in terms of a loss. But I think that, you know, certainly players like Aldi are definitely experimenting with how they can mitigate the cost of the last mile. I mean, in the UK, they've increased their click and collect capability to about 200 stores. And clearly they're doing, you know, some strong trials as well in the US to get to a position where they're 23 globally out of all of the websites audited by um, this publication. And I think it is going to come to Germany. I think Aldi and Lidl are going to go online in Germany. And I think that will be the big catalyst to the grocery market acceleration because they'll pull brands and CPGs into working with them to deliver that. The likes of Reve and Edeka will then need to respond. Amazon Fresh obviously launched in Germany in 2017. So I think the wave is coming. I think it's it's fascinating what you said there about those impulses perhaps coming from other international markets into Germany rather than necessarily starting in Germany. One thing you did mention there as well was the challenges around the last mile. And what we saw particularly during lockdown in the UK, but also in countries like France, was grocery retailers partnering with third-party delivery services, the likes of Deliveroo, Uber Eats, in order to meet the huge demand for online shopping during the pandemic, but also to overcome some of those problems around the last mile. Mark, is that something that we saw at all in Germany, these sorts of last mile partnerships or experiments? So what we saw, we saw a very strong increase in the last mile delivery coming from companies such as like Flaschenpost, which is translated to English as the message in the bottle. So they've been acquired by one of the biggest or one of the oldest German food industry companies yet, but they gained a lot of market share during the pandemic, especially because they are in the logistics game. And if you look at them, they are actually a very specialized logistics company. If you want to win the last mile, and we at STMS coming from the last mile business, and that's in the core of our service delivery, you have to get your organization straight. I'm not saying that the, the organization and logistics organization in traditional retailers is malfunctioning. It's rather the opposite. It's I think it's mainly the, the shopper. So what happened in Germany during the pandemic is that the average baskets uh, or grocery basket grew, obviously. Of course, people started harvesting some of the specific commodity products. Uh, maybe you heard about that. But I think the main challenge is to really get into the convenience business here. And when it comes to last mile, it has to be convenient. And what delivery is here today in Germany up to date is that 
you, know, you have to pick a window and you have to be available and you have to be present at this window. And I think that's the main challenge here. Of course, everybody was in home office and it could have gained a little bit more than we all expected in terms of growth and market share. But I see that that's the main challenge. And if you look like players I just mentioned, that they're actually supplying you with the security that you, that you will be delivered or that you get your goods within 120 minutes and uh, whenever you call them. And uh, you don't have to pick upfront a time. You are dependent on route planning, etc. I mean, there are other, other concepts as well. Looking at Picnic, for example, from the Netherlands, I think they're very successful as well, in, even though they're not available on, in every region yet. And the same goes for Amazon Fresh, like Joe mentioned. It's, I think they're also right now very focused on a very specific and particular region where they deliver. And that's mainly in the urbanized areas rather than in rural areas. And yeah, I think that's the main challenge. But coming to last mile delivery, this is where the money is. And if you don't want to pay logistics fees, which none of the shoppers actually want, so you actually abandon a, a checkout and an online store if you have to pay delivery fees for UPS or whatever. And so it has to be somehow coming with the whole solution and the whole solution of products. So it has to be some kind of more engagement also in the decision-making when it comes to choosing the products on the shelf. And the shelf has to go online. So it will be extended, I think, in the near future. And I'm, I'm really interested in what you said about Amazon Fresh there as well. You touched upon that, um, that they are in Germany with online grocery, but particularly focused around sort of large urban areas. Joe, from your perspective, what are the sort of key lessons that you think German grocers could potentially learn from what Amazon is doing in Germany at the moment? Is Amazon Fresh seen as having that leadership position within the market? So I don't know whether it's seen in Germany, but certainly, I mean, I think it was a very interesting move they made in the UK to offer it free to Prime members. And that's clearly to help mitigate one of the concerns that Mark raises around people not wanting to pay extra to be able to benefit from the convenience of having groceries delivered to their front door. And I think that move will enable them to grow share quickly, actually, in the UK. And I don't know, Mark, if they've done the same thing in Germany so I think that my personal opinion about Amazon Fresh is slightly different because when you look at a German, let's call it retail media, whenever Amazon has a new move or does something new, you get push notifications that Amazon Fresh is starting in Germany. But I don't see them as, as being like the leader breaking into that market. I rather see different solutions such as, for example, like HelloFresh. I mean, they, they've been on the market. They are really good in logistics. The other ones I just mentioned earlier, I think they are more or less paving the way for a traditional retail to go online rather than Amazon. I think Amazon is a good juggernaut enemy player to focus on, but they are, in my opinion, smaller ones that actually really like choosing where this market is going. And that's the main of the freshness of goods is the main challenge and the acceptance of the shoppers themselves. And you have huge differences when it comes to urban and rural areas. I think that's the same for the UK. It can be compared. I mean, you have London and then you have to like somehow exponentially going down when it comes to acceptance of online shopping in, in different areas. Isn't it like that? It's very much focused around kind of the bigger cities. And there are some other key indicators in terms of e-commerce development around population density, number of 
women in employment and also indicators around things like GDP. And typically, you know, across markets, if you've got a relatively more affluent population, high population density and a high percentage of working women, that tends to be one of the catalysts to e-commerce really accelerating. And Mark, it was interesting to hear you say there that, for instance, players like Picnic, like Flash and Post, HelloFresh potentially have more of that leadership position than Amazon. Here in the UK, I would say, you know, Ocado's obviously also played a big part in driving forward a conversation around online grocery. Is there a German equivalent to a player like Ocado, someone who's sort of pushing that logistics piece and fulfillment piece in a similar way? I'm not so familiar with the business case of that company. But I think it's rather flush and post. It's not because of I'm a big fan of them, but it's rather than they see themselves as a logistics company and they, they started off with bulk products and in commodities. Uh, but in their home market, which is which is I think the area of Münster, they are very successful in full assortment. And I think I expect them to go full assortment in other regions as well. So they're actually yeah, defending a huge market share there. Of course, due to the pandemic as well, but I think they are the ones actually going forward. I don't see the the benefit of there are other players in the market that actually guarantee you direct delivery in 10 minutes, which I don't see the added value at. But when it comes to groceries itself, you want to have it convenient. And I think convenience shopping was on a surge on a big spree over the last two to three years. And it, it still is. So grocery baskets are getting larger and convenience shopping has to grow that way, I think, in the same pace. And that's, in my opinion, one of the actually market leaders in that, in that area. Now, we've talked quite a lot about the various retail players and, and some of the last mile players in Germany as well. Let's turn to CPG brands and some of the opportunities and challenges that they need to be aware of. If you are a brand that wants to win in German online grocery, what do you need to get right in terms of strategy, in terms of workflows, in terms of organizational setup, in terms of tools? And what are perhaps some of the pitfalls to avoid? Joe, if we could start with you on that, what do you think would need to be on brands' list of priorities for 2021? So I think I'd kind of bucket it into three core areas in terms of execution, which is, are there products available? Are they visible? And are they delivering profitable sales to them and to retailers? And I think typically what we find is businesses or brands that are at the beginning of their e-commerce journey are very focused on content. And I would say to any businesses that are worrying about content, you've probably got quite a lot of catching up to do because it's about a lot more than have you got the right product name, have you got the right product image. Globally, there have been 150 million new online shoppers this year. And so whilst, yes, the German market is not as developed as some of the other countries around Europe, there are still a lot of people shopping online within Germany. I mean, Amazon Germany turns over $16 billion. That's a huge sum of money. It's also about making sure that products are visible. So are brands winning the all-important search battle and making sure that they're visible? 95% of Add to Basket is from the first page within any retailer's website. And actually, from the US, I've read stats that says the top three search positions in Amazon 
60% of the sales. So what can brands do to get their priority SKUs up that page one ranking so that they can improve performance? And then availability has become a huge topic this year again as demand has swung online. Some of the bricks and clicks retailers have struggled to maintain availability. One of the big dynamics we see is actually the way that promotions behave differently online. In store, you can run a promotion from shelf and typically you'll get a 10 to 15% increase in sales. Replicate that same promotion online and you can get three, 400% increase. Now in a model where the retailer is picking stock from the store, you very, very, very quickly create availability problems. And in a lot of retailers, they will then substitute in your competitor's brand so that the shopper still gets what they need from the category. So effectively, you've got big branded manufacturers paying a lot of money to put their competitors' products into a shopper's basket, which then sticks in their favourites. So content, yes, is important because it's part of winning that search battle. It's also about making sure that Products are visible, taking advantage of retailer online media, which is the equivalent of buying the gondola end in a store. How do you replicate that for online shoppers? And then ensuring that they've got the right strategies in place to maintain availability and are doing that incredibly collaboratively with the online retailers. And then there's the whole element about pricing and mix because Retailers, as their business is shifting online, it's having a drain on their profitability. And they will invariably come back to the brands and ask them to fill the gap. So being proactive about understanding how they can maximise the portfolio to help do that, as opposed to having to just write a cheque and hand it over as part of the annual business planning negotiations, I think is absolutely critical for these brands to really think about how they can do that. And then about how they resource it, because a lot of those conversations are happening actually at the front line between the key account managers and the retailers. So how can brands upskill the broader organisation rather than just holding it in a centralised e-commerce function that typically looks at things like content, but not the broader commercial levers, which also need to be optimised to enable brands to win with retailers and to win profitably. And Mark, you've heard Joe's list of priorities there and her plea to not just focus solely on content and and neglect perhaps some of those fundamentals around availability and pricing as well. What do you make of that? Um, Do you agree with the priorities she set out? Are there perhaps any other areas that you think brands really need to focus on? I think I'm fully agreeing with what Joe just said. And I I just want to dive into or dig into one of those a little bit deeper is the education part of the brands and their behavior. Looking at CPG companies, we've been working with CPG companies since 25 years plus. And most of our clients are actually like the blue chip CPG companies. And what we see with them is they are very skilled, very educated when it comes to sales, leadership, brand management, etc. But when it comes to e-commerce education within those organizations, I think they need some support actually for extending their workbench in order to get a little bit quicker. Everything we do on the POS level is already very successful and it's already very strong and has great foundation. But when it comes to, for example, key account management, and I think the role of key account managers 
today compared to at least three to five years ago has changed completely. And of course, the most seasoned, experienced key account managers, they mainly are responsible for the big accounts, which we just touched today, and they have not really an online presence. And the more younger key account managers are responsible for e-commerce if they have a key account management for e-commerce. I think that's also an organizational part of it, of the brands. So where do, do they locate the knowledge? And you just mentioned it, Joe, that you don't put it into like a, the corner of e-commerce. I think the CPG brands themselves have to embrace it as an old organization. There's a new key account in town, which is e-commerce, and it can be multiple stores can be coming from really small e-commerce specific delivery websites to huge platforms and marketplaces. And when it comes to marketplace management, I think that's the challenge they have to embrace and really get into things moving there. And I think that's true. I mean, if I think back across my career, so I worked at P&G for 16 years. I worked at Kraft Heinz for a couple of years. And back when I was at P&G, I was responsible for the business with Sainsbury's and Waitrose, and they were developing their e-commerce capabilities and wanting to accelerate. And I grew up in CPG understanding how you impact sales in a physical store. You know, you go in, you build your displays, you make sure that they've got the right products at the right place, eye placement in store. And suddenly I was like asked to also manage or lead the e-commerce business. And I was like, I haven't got a clue what I need to do. And it seemed quite complex. It's actually not complex. As there are very traditional drivers in an in-store environment around price, promotion, assortment, availability. When you look at e-commerce, you have to optimise all of those for the online shopper and online shopping occasion. And then there's only three other things you need to look at, which is, do you have the right content? How are you performing in search? And what are shoppers saying about your products that will also drive purchase intent? And I think there's been a tendency for people to overcomplicate it. And certainly, you know, at eFundamentals, our whole mission is about just keeping it simple and helping businesses understand how they action the data they can get to drive sales performance because it actually doesn't need to be that complicated. And I think... CPGs can help their teams by putting the tools in their hands to help them keep it simple. It's a huge, vast data set, but with the right tools, understanding which are the highest value opportunities that will impact sales materially and to deliver those actions can be quite simple. And Mark, on that point of keeping it simple and making sure brands focus on what is really going to move the dial for them in terms of online sales, I wonder if we can just sort of turn it back a little bit specifically to Germany. Do you find that when you are talking to those big blue chip CPGs that there are certain myths or misconceptions about the German e-commerce market, the German online grocery market, the German online consumer that you find yourself having to challenge quite frequently? 
So one of the biggest myths, to be honest, is that German online shopper is a laggard and really accepting very late. I think that's not true. So when you look at German online shopping, and I mean, we all heard the numbers, you have to differentiate between the categories, obviously. I mean, when it comes to non-food, it's very strong, in my opinion. Of course, it can gain a little bit more. I think the move we just had in the last couple of months was very strong, and I think it will hold on. When it comes to grocery shopping, I think the biggest myth is, okay, the brands can only act if the retailers get along with that. And I think one of the, the biggest discrepancies here is that the two levels of retail in Germany, and you might get a problem when you have a store level encounter and you're getting into some kind of like cannibalization effect with the online store. That's actually happening in different retailers right now. And I think the retailers have to overcome that hurdle themselves. So that's one of the myths we need to block. But the brands, they shouldn't wait for the retailers to do the next move. I think they have to work along and really engage with online retail and grocery shopping to pave the way for getting the availability to e-commerce grocery shopping for shoppers. Because most of the marketing activities you see online are not guiding to a real action when it comes to shop here, get that. It's rather brand image identity driven. And I think if these two departments, I mean, that's the biggest challenge every CPG company has, having sales and marketing really work hand in hand. But when they overcome the hurdle of working in e-commerce together, and that's, I think, one of the biggest achievements they could have actually for 2021. I agree. I think there's huge opportunity for brands to get on the front foot and help the German retailers develop their proposition and they will have huge influence and create competitive advantage for themselves if they do that. Because then as the channel grows, if they're also growing share within the channel, you get a multiplier effect in terms of the positive impact it will have on their business. And Joe, one of the things I'd really love your take on is something you touched on a couple of times. And in fact, both of you have, as we've talked about some of the sort of organizational challenges, making sure different departments don't work in silos. How important do you think it is for big multinational CPGs to have a local Germany specific approach to e-commerce? Or do you see this as a market that could really benefit from having fresh ideas and initiatives imported from other, perhaps more advanced e-commerce markets? I think it's a mixture of both. And certainly when we're working with our global clients at individual market levels, we facilitate them being able to do both, which is how do these big CPG players cascade best practice learning quickly across different markets so that people can learn from each other, but also tailoring the approach to the individual market, which will be different on, I think, three kind of different vectors. One is the level of development of the market and the retailers. The second one will be the level of capability that that particular brand has within the team in the market. And thirdly is the capacity that they've got locally for those teams to actually take actions. And so creating an environment where case studies, best practice can be cascaded quickly really helps the markets that have less capability and less capacity understand where to focus first to have the maximum impact. But it always needs to be relevant for the retail environment in that local market too. 
So I think it comes actually with the description you just mentioned, Julia and Joe. It's multinational CPGs, and they're operating, even though they're global brands, but they're operating on a multinational level with local decision-making power. And it has to be a syndicated model, as, as Joe just said, between learning and really adapting knowledge you gained in a different market, in a different country, adapting it to the local market and having some kind of like a syndicated version of that. And it also depends on the, on actually on the headcount in those local headquarters of those multinational CPG brands. When they have decision-making power, they want to have German-speaking or German market-understanding individual working with them on a day-to-day -day basis. I think due to the last pandemic month, the barriers between countries, they lowered quite a lot. Everybody is on video uh, right now, but you have to have knowledge of the German and the local market. And that's why we see and you know, expect that CPG brands need to extend the workbench with local experts here. And speaking of understanding the local market, Joe, we've talked quite a bit about some of the priorities that are going to be relevant to brands in 2021. I wonder if you could just briefly touch on some key shopper trends for Germany that you are expecting to be important next year. There are a few trends that you could perhaps pick out that you think are going to be important for CPG brands to be aware of. Yeah, so I think there's a few that I would call out. I think the first one, which is... A consequence of what's happened this year is consumers are going to be increasingly price sensitive. I think there's no doubt that the pressure on consumers' wallets is only just beginning. And I think, you know, in Germany, but also other markets across Europe, I think consumers are going to continue to look for ways to maximise what they can spend their kind of monthly earnings on. And so I think, you know, brands being really clear on how they can help manage the value proposition across their portfolio of products is going to be really, really critical. And the second one, I think, is again linked to what's happened this year on the globe has left a huge imprint on everybody's psyches. And I think, again, consumers in Germany and across other markets are going to become increasingly focused on health. So things like healthy eating and also making sure that they've got the products in their house to enable them to keep it nice and clean. You know, we've seen P&G, Rekitbenkies, Unilever have posted astonishing financial results this year because their household businesses have grown hugely on the back of that trend starting. I think the next one sits parallel to that is around provenance. I think, again, shoppers are going to be a lot more concerned with understanding the provenance, particularly of food and drinks products. And I think online has a critical role to play in that in terms of reassuring around the safety and the robustness in supply chains and that the provenance is strong. And then I think the other trend that again will impact the kind of consumer goods space is people are eating at home more. So I think retailers have a huge opportunity to help shoppers get a bit more creative with what they're choosing to eat at home. I mean, I know we all have probably a standard bunch of about eight recipes that we rotate. And after however many months of not eating out as often, providing inspiration around meal ideas and how to feed your family 
in an interesting way for less money, again, is a big opportunity for both brands and for retailers. And online, again, is a great environment in which you can do that because it's more engaging and people might be prepared to watch a video recipe or spend a little bit more time engaging around what are the different ingredients that I would need to make something slightly different and more interesting for my family for dinner this week. So I think those are just a few of the trends that I think, you know, will be seen absolutely in Germany, but they're not exclusive just to Germany. I think these will be trends that we'll see across the globe. And Mark, are there any particular strategies that you think are going to be particularly relevant when it comes to retaining and re-engaging shoppers who have perhaps tried online shopping for the first time during the pandemic? I think you have to somehow lock shoppers in with great experiences. You have to have a great experience online to shop again. And we all know that from our personal shopping habits, if you have a great experience, and it's mainly about, again, about logistics. So having the convenience of getting it when you want to have it, when it's an urgency. I mean, grocery shopping itself is not an urgency. It's some kind of like a convenience shopping itself. So I see one of the main comebacks actually is health in zero waste. I think that lacked a little bit during the pandemic, even though health is on vogue again, of course. Yeah, it's, you have to have products, ingredients that count. You don't want to have ingredients that actually harm your body in a certain way that you don't want to get sick. And we also see that in trends with some of the companies you just mentioned, Joe, is people are not on so much sick leave compared to the years before because they stay at home and they are not commuting, for example. So I think that the main strategies to conquer that is having a great experience in shopping and make them shop again, engage with them, be present. And I think it's a mixture of different moves. It can be via mail, it can be with direct search or direct engagement. And you have to actually meet the shopper where he or she actually is happening. And you see that on different platforms right now. I think if you look at the platform, of course, everybody is looking at Instagram and what happens there, but grocery is not happening on, on these platforms. But if you look at platforms such as Pinterest, for example, is they're doing tremendous work on getting brands actually engaged with their platform. And you have a lot of cooking recipes happening there. And if you have a availability to really shop directly coming from that platform, I think that's an interesting take. And that could be a good, nice strategy to really harvest the engagement. And Joe, you mentioned the, the shopping and working, female people working in the UK compared to Germany, for example. I think that looking at Pinterest, I think 70 to 80% of the traffic is coming from female users. And if you convert those users into shoppers, I think you can just gain a lot of movement there. It's a fascinating and very wide ranging discussion that we've had. We've touched on so many different aspects of getting your German e-commerce strategy right. If you had to distill your advice to listeners to one essential piece of advice, what would you say it takes to win on the German digital shelf in 2021? And we'll call this your 20-second smarts. Joe. what would be your one essential piece of advice to our listeners? I would say get on the front foot. Don't wait for retailers to come knocking at your door. Build your understanding build your expertise across the organisation, not just within a kind of centralised few people working in e-commerce, so that you can really be the thought leaders in your category 
with retailers like Reve and Edeka because I'm convinced that the German discounters will start developing online offerings within Germany based off the learning they're doing in other markets. And so getting in front of that and really being able to partner with retailers to win is going to be critical. Brilliant. And Mark, what's your 20-second smarts, your one essential piece of advice to our listeners? So I think I would accept everything that Joe just said, but I think it will just take it a little bit longer in terms of listen to the ones and that's a little bit of conflict of interest coming coming from me, yeah? because we as a company are actually on the front foot at the POS. But you have to listen to the experts that understand your POS. And I think some of the brands are distancing a little bit from their POS what's happening on their POS actually. And I think when it comes to winning that game, you have to engage where you find your shoppers. And that's actually retrieving information, best practices, lessons learned you have from the physical world and transferring them, put it a little bit on steroids maybe, and coming to the e-commerce world. And I think that's that's the main take here. Joe, Mark, thank you for a fascinating conversation. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Digital Shelfcast from eFundamentals, the only podcast dedicated to helping growth-driven CPGs win online. We hope you enjoyed the discussion and got some useful tips for how to navigate your brand's success on the digital shelf. If your brand faces a particular online challenge, or you want to learn more about leveraging digital shelf analytics to fuel growth, then why not book a free consultation with the eFundamentals team? Simply visit efundamentals.com forward slash podcast and book your free consultation. You'll also find the link in the show notes. If you enjoyed the show, we'd also appreciate it if you could give us a rating and leave a review. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.